Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast number 161 for February the 17th, 2008. I'm Rico, your host, as always. This week, we're going to look at the first of the next generation Star Trek movies, uh, aptly titled Star Trek Generations. That'll be the main topic on the podcast today. Got some things to talk about, some movie news uh, about the Trek movie and some other things, new trailers out. Uh, I saw a recent uh, new movie I wanted to talk about and uh, lots of other good stuff. Uh, so uh, uh, let's get to it. I've got a special intro here created by Vartok again. So uh, listen to this and I will be right back. This is Admiral Jackson on TSF Excelsior. The Priority Epsilon 001 request for an immediate docking bay and high-speed approach. Admiral Jackson, welcome home. You are cleared for the immediate docking in Bay 17 on Vector 23. I must see the Emperor with information of extreme importance. Security, clear the corridor between here and the Royal Hall. I must see the Emperor. It is a matter of highest urgency. Guard, I am Admiral Jackson. Open that door immediately. Your Highness, I have urgent news from the Skrillian border. Captain of the Guard, arrest the Admiral. Execute him immediately. No! No one, I repeat, no one, by my Imperial Decree, interrupts the Emperor at this moment. It's time for Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti. Thanks a lot for that, Vartok. Yeah, you don't want to interrupt the Emperor when he's listening to the podcast. So uh, that was pretty good. Thank you very much uh, for doing that. And again, everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome to the show. I hope you'll uh, sit back for about the next hour or so and uh, and listen to what we have to say about sci-fi and Star Trek and other things. And uh, also, if you've uh, listened for a long time, like two and a half years or so, I want to really thank you for sticking with the show all that time and, and continuing to listen and continuing to uh, really uh, help out, uh, you know, keeping me doing the show each week. Well, let's dive right into some news. Uh, probably, let, let's get right into the big Star Trek uh, news announcement for uh, this week, which happened a couple of days ago. I guess about Thursday, this first started showing up on the internet. It looks, uh, I'd say it's about 99% official. Uh, I don't think it's, it's hard to say. These reports come out and you never know what to think, you know, and eventually they become, I I have this kind of a phrase. It it goes something like this. Basically, I always say that uh, 
rumors are just premature facts. And it, it's just funny. Uh, a lot of times, while the Internet's full of rumors, sometimes they become true and sometimes not. But anyway, about Star Trek, uh, if you haven't heard already, which probably a lot of you are, have already heard this announcement, uh, it seems Paramount wants to release the Star Trek movie not next Christmas, which we've all been talking about and looking forward to and and have in our minds for a long time, not Christmas of 2008, but now all the way to May of 2009. Like, I think it's May 8th, I think it was. Uh, May 8th of 2000, early May of 2009. So the basic uh, story that's being thrown around and, and, and mentioned for doing this is that they feel really uh, strongly about this movie. They feel that it's a, a very going to be a very good movie. And because of that, they feel that they... It deserves to really have a, a summer, spring-summer release. Uh, like a lot of other uh, big popular movies, the Star Wars franchise, Spider-Man's, Indiana Jones, all of those movies have been kind of spring-summer releases. And even though the Christmas season is still pretty good for box office and movies, uh, spring-summer is, is definitely better, probably can make more money there. So that's that's probably the main reason there had been some, you know, a little bit of talk about that perhaps they could use the extra five months to work on the film. Now, they do say or have been saying that the movie would be ready if they needed to in time for Christmas. However, they, they again do feel they want to hold on to it and wait for uh, spring of 2009. The other factor here has been the writer's strike. Even though that's basically ended now, it, it appears that maybe in 2009, that summer, because of the writer's strike and movies, uh, not really getting into production the last few months or, or being written. Next spring, summer, and the 2009, I mean, season should be a little less uh, populated for movies, and Paramount wants to have a big movie to open up the summer with, and Star Trek would probably be a good uh, a good choice for that. So a lot of factors. For, you know, for me, at least, I was at first a little bit disappointed. You know, we've been kind of talking and, and waiting for this movie for quite a long time, and now we've got to wait another five months, but... I do believe this will be better for the movie, better for the franchise as a whole. It will probably almost certainly make more money than it would at Christmas time. So it, it, it's, again, probably overall a good thing. We'll just have to wait another five months, but I think we can do that. So that's the, uh, the big uh, Star Trek movie news announcement for the week. There have been uh, some other things showing up online, some, some really uh, long-distance photography and they had some aerial footage uh, of the of some of the Star Trek filming going on out in Hollywood uh, in the California area. Uh, just they're, they're trying to really keep a lid on things, and, and you know I think that's good. They've had, they've had a few more, uh, like I said, photographs show up of some of the characters in different costumes. Nothing really clear. Uh, there are some interesting shot, shots of Sulu and and uh, a certain uh, kind of costume and and get up. He looks like he's going to have a little maybe action in this, in this movie. Uh, if you want to see uh, you know a lot of these behind-the-scenes things, the best place probably to check out is trekmovie.com. They're really staying on top of all the movie news and information and all this kind of stuff. You know, I know there's some people out there that don't want to be spoiled too much, but they do a pretty good job of announcing uh, you know what it is. Like The stories are sort of broken down into, like, click here if you want to learn more, and then you can go there. One thing I was going to say before about this five more months to wait for the film is in relation to this situation, one of my biggest concerns actually is that with all that extra time is that we're going to learn a lot more about the movie maybe, and it's going to be a lot harder for them to keep it secret before it comes out. Now, 
you know, there's some people that that bothers. I'm actually one of them. I don't want to learn too much. I don't mind seeing some things and learning a few things, but I don't want to have basically the whole plot known and figured out. Uh, you know, and I, I don't go especially looking for this stuff, but it is a little hard to avoid, especially doing the podcast. I try to put out little bits of information, but nothing that I think is going to destroy the movie experience for anyone too much. But uh, that is one concern I have is that this extra time is just, you know, we're going to be ending up seeing the script online practically on the front of Google or Yahoo or something like that. But we will uh, hope to keep uh, keep things uh, you know a little bit more secret. And J.J. Abrams seems to be really working hard at trying to do that. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to really see some official photographs released or or a longer trailer. They haven't really talked about any more official announcements like that. I would imagine this summer, sometime with some movie, we will see a longer trailer than that little tiny one minute teaser that they put out uh, about a month ago with Cloverfield. So uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing some more in uh, the coming months. And we've got another special treat this week. Uh, Listen to this. Yes, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in theaters May 22nd. There's the first uh, full trailer for the film, and uh, I'm totally excited and geeked up for this movie. It's been almost 20 years. Uh, The last film uh, came out in 1989, so it'll be 19 years uh, until or since we've seen Indiana Jones in a new movie on the big screen, and it's going to be just great. I I really get a little disappointed that some people are out there going, ah, Harrison Ford looks old, you know, he's like, you know, 65 or whatever. You know, so what? This is Harrison Ford, this is Indiana Jones, and this is a new indie movie, and it looks great. I mean, and they're not really going to hide, I don't think, away or or hide the fact that he's a little older and maybe he's, uh, you know, things are a little harder, like he says in that one clip, it's not as easy as it used to be. You know, I don't. I don't think they're going to overdo that either, like they do in some of these, you know, buddy cop movies. And it's like I'm getting too old for this. I don't think he's going to be saying that every other line. It's just this movie is just going to be a lot of fun. 
Indiana Jones is one of my favorite series of films and characters, and Harrison Ford has said a lot of times this is probably his favorite role and part to play uh, that he's ever played over the years, even more than Han Solo and more than any other character. So it, he's got a lot uh, of himself, I think, in this character. And you got Lucas and Spielberg back. It, it's just going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I, I've got a lot, uh, a, a lot of excitement and a lot of hopes for this movie. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a whole generation of people out there, like my kids and and younger people that have never seen Indiana Jones. You know, on a movie screen, on a big theater uh, experience, and uh, you know that have seen these things on DVD or videotape even. Uh, so this is going to be really a treat for them, kind of like when they did Superman again, Superman Returns. You know, that's a little different, not the same actor situation and, and a kind of a reboot and Batman the same same way. So this one's a little different. They This is the first time they've been able to see this again, and I'm really excited for it. So uh, I hope everyone else out there is just as excited as I am. will be their opening day in May to see Indy on the big screen. I wanted to mention uh, briefly uh, a few things about a uh, a movie that I saw recently. I saw that, uh, well, actually just yesterday, saw that new movie Jumper with uh, Hayden Christensen, uh, good old Mace Windu, Samuel Jackson was in there, so we had to Anakin and Mace in a movie together again. Uh, for those that have seen the previews or, or if you haven't, basically this movie is about a, uh, a couple of uh, kids, or not really kids, but Hayden Christensen and a, and a couple other people that have the ability to to what they call jump basically they can teleport like nightcrawler and the x-men from one place to another uh, over really vast distances uh, across the world uh, pretty much any place they've seen or been they can go there at, at an instant and it's a it's a very cool effect the way they do it in the movie and it's uh well it's it's just a cool movie and they it's based on a book i believe uh, and the effects and all that were pretty good. The movie moves pretty quickly. It's only about 90 minutes long, rated PG-13, uh, probably for early teens and up. I would say there's a fair amount of violence in it. Uh, Samuel Jackson basically kind of plays the the guy after the jumpers. Uh, there's a group of people that are out to kind of stop them. I uh, don't want to give too much away, but I, I just thought the movie was a lot of fun. And uh, what a cool power to have, really, to be able to just sort of port or you know beam over or whatever you want to call it from one spot to another you know he can go anywhere do anything almost with that ability and uh it does uh really you know they they do a neat job and the the cool thing about this you get to see a lot of different places in the world and i believe most of the places that you see in the movie are not like green screened in or anything they went to a lot of these i know one thing they they did some shooting in rome and the Colosseum, and all that's basically real they got special permission for that uh to do some of that filming. So uh, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, uh, in, a, in a cool little sci-fi action-adventure movie, go see Jumper. All right, just a couple quick other little comments. Uh, oh, one, one thing I did want to mention that uh, was a Star Wars-related news item. The uh, It looks like this Clone Wars animated series, they're going to be doing a movie version, or at least like the first three episodes or so of that, they're going to kind of combine into a movie form and release it in August this summer. August 15th is the date, I think I heard, uh, for an animated Star Wars film on the big movie screen. So we will get another Star Wars movie on the big uh, movie screen this summer, uh, animated, and something that's going to end up on like the Cartoon Channel, at least in the United States, 
uh, shortly thereafter. I think this late this fall it's going to premiere, I believe, uh, or perhaps early in 2009. I'm not sure that they've set that date yet. I don't think they have. But that's cool. I mean, even though it's animated, you know, to see Star Wars and some Star Wars action on the big screen. Now, this Clone Wars cartoon is basically, again, set between uh, episodes two and three of the Star Wars movies, showing Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting in the Clone Wars and everything that goes on during that time. A little bit that they showed in the previous Clone Wars animated series that they did before. And somebody and a few other people that I know have mentioned, you know, maybe this is going to, you know, depending on how this does in the movie theater, maybe this will set a precedent. You know, they're going to be or are working uh, pre-production, at least, on the live-action Star Wars action live. (laughs) How many times did I say action? Live-action series for Star Wars that is a new live-action series that they're working on for television. And this is going to take place between, like, episodes three and four, but it's supposed to feature not really any of the main characters that we've come to know from the movies. And somebody had made the point that I'd read on my forum and a few other places I read about saying, hey, maybe they will release the first episode or two of that in a movie form before that premieres on television. And that would be also cool. Uh, that'd be great, actually. And, you know, the, Lucas has kind of said there's not going to be any more Star Wars movies, but I think he always really meant that there's not going to be any more movies about the Skywalkers and that whole saga. So this would be a sort of a, a, a sneaky way around that if he did this. We'll, we'll have to see how that works out. But we are getting an animated um, series uh, put into a movie form this summer. All right, the other uh, couple announcements I wanted to make. Uh, yes, if you do listen to my atticofmymind.com, uh, that podcast, uh, which is over at atticofmymind.com, I haven't updated in a few weeks. I was sick for a while there, and it's just been busy since then. So I do plan on getting one of those out this week. It's been a few weeks. Uh, I will definitely be doing that in the next few days. So if you are listening to that show, it hasn't disappeared completely, just uh, hasn't really worked out in the last few weeks for me, but I am going to get back to that. Uh, And always, uh, just a couple of announcements. If you want to ever contact me, uh, the email for the podcast, treksf at gmail.com, and the voicemail, you can always call in with any kind of a comment or review. Uh, It's 206 Six 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 one two seven is the voicemail number. The uh, main reason I wanted to mention that is we got several calls this week, not really calls, but audio files that were emailed in to me about uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about here in a minute, Generations. And I want to play one of those right now to get us kind of started. I'm going to play the uh, one Kenny sent in from California about the movie, and then we will get into my discussion about the Star Trek Generations film. Hey Rico, it's Kenny from California. Just thought I would leave a few comments about Star Trek Generations. I saw this movie on opening day. I was very excited to see it because TNG, the Next Generation crew, is what got me into Star Trek. I had seen uh, the original series on and off here and there episodes, but not until the Next Generation is when I really got hooked into Star Trek. So I was really excited about seeing uh, my favorite crew on the big screen. Looking back, I would have to say that this isn't my favorite of the Next Generation movies, but it definitely is the first, so it has a special place in my heart. Um, The last half of this movie was just great with the destruction of the Klingon battlecruiser and watching the Enterprise-D saucer section crash into the planet. Uh, I remember being in the theater and just being blown away. I mean, it's such a huge event 
that they just actually destroyed the Enterprise D. I could not believe it. I remember you can hear a pin drop after that saucer hit that planet. Not a single person said anything. They were all holding their breaths. It was a great experience. And something I will always remember. And I think since I wasn't a huge TOS fan, the death of Kirk didn't affect me as I'm sure it did you, since uh, you grew up with the original series. I thought his death was very noble. He went out saving millions and millions of people. The original death they had for Kirk I thought was horrible, so I'm actually glad they changed it, and at least he went out with a bang, you know, as Kirk would do. Though not the best Star Trek movie in my eyes, it's still a fun movie to watch. That's it. Take care, Rico. Well, thanks very much for your comments about Generations, uh, Kenny. So uh, let's get started on my discussion about the this movie, the first of the Next Generation films. Yes, this, uh, this film, Star Trek Generations, came out in uh, 1994, uh, November uh, 18th, uh, 1994, just uh, a few months after uh, Star Trek The Next Generation had gone off the air. It had finished and had its finale in the spring of 1994, ran from 87 to 94, and basically they went pretty much right into production on this movie after the series wound up. So the characters are, are still, uh, or the actors are still very in tune with the characters, and I think that shows a lot in this film, and we'll talk about that as we go. So this was a uh, a nice uh, change of pace versus the way it, it was with the original series where they had to wait, you know, basically a 10-year span between the uh, finale and the end of that series and the first movie that they did. Of course, all the principal actors are back, uh, in this movie, along with the, the crossover of some uh, TOS characters as well. The movie was directed by David Carson, who was an experienced uh, TNG director. Uh, the story is basically by uh, Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Ron Moore. Of course, Ron Moore now on Battlestar Galactica. They had the story, uh, Brana, uh, excuse me, Brandon Braga and Ron Moore wrote the script, banged out the script really quickly. And I think came up with a pretty solid movie overall. You know, it's not perfect. Uh, a lot of people will say this is maybe like Kenny, not their favorite of the next-gen films. But I think they did a really good job of integrating and kind of passing the torch from the uh, the TOS era and crew to the, the TNG uh, kind of people and characters and all that. I, I really like, there's a lot of moments, a lot of... Uh, I think the overall plot is pretty good. The storyline is pretty good. But there's just a lot of little special moments in this movie that I think really make uh, make the movie uh, uh, something that I really enjoy and still enjoy watching to this day. Now, uh, let's see. What else to get into before we get into clips and things like that? Uh, oh, the uh, the one thing I wanted to mention is Leonard Nimoy was uh, first asked, actually, asked to both direct and act in this movie. He was supposed to be on the bridge there on the Enterprise B at the beginning, uh, along with actually DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly was in declining health at the time and really couldn't uh, act on this movie at all. And Leonard Nimoy uh, probably correctly deduced that the the lines that were being uh, talked about, and, you know, he was supposed to play kind of the, the Scotty part on the bridge there, and McCoy would have been the checkoff role on the bridge of the Enterprise B alongside, you know, it would have been the main three, Bones, Spock, and Kirk back on uh, this uh, new Enterprise instead of the, the 
the Chekhov and and Scotty and Kirk on on board. Now, either way, it would have worked. I think it works just fine with Chekhov and Scotty aboard the Enterprise B. Maybe even actually works a little bit better for some of the things that happen aboard that ship, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But uh, so Leonard Nimoy was first asked to both direct and act in this movie, but he declined on both. So it was directed again by David Carson, and he didn't appear in it. Uh, they uh, they also had wanted to have uh, Sulu. They wanted to have George Takei in this movie as well. Of course, you meet his daughter aboard the Enterprise B, which I've got a clip for coming up here in a minute. Uh, but he also declined. He said, you know, he was he was a captain. He didn't want to be back pushing buttons and driving the ship. He was a captain in, in Star Trek VI, so he didn't think that this was right to go back to this uh, point in time and kind of... Uh, do that. Although, you know, he could have been a guest uh, aboard the Enterprise B, just like the other characters, and they probably would have been okay with that. But for anyway, for that, uh, the the story, so you ended up with just uh, Chekhov, Scotty, and Kirk aboard the Enterprise B. Okay, so uh, let's start out uh, talking about, uh, or getting into the clips and talking about the movie itself. Uh, I think it moves pretty well. It's about two hours long. They, uh, they start out aboard, of course, this new Enterprise. Uh, Enterprise B, and you see this floating uh, champagne bottle floating through uh, the the cosmos through space, and it eventually impacts on the hull of the Enterprise B as sort of a, a christening ship ceremony, like has always been done traditionally, I guess, with uh, vessels over the years. And uh, that bottle, you can see uh, if you look at it closely, or you you freeze the uh, the image, is a is a Chateau Picard. Uh, bottle there that uh, hits the Enterprise, which is a cool little touch, I thought. So here's the first clip from uh, Star Trek Generations aboard the Enterprise B. Captain. Excuse me. I'd like you to meet the helmsman of the Enterprise B. Demora? Ensign Demora Sulu. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. My father's told me some interesting stories about you. Your father is a Carl Sulu? Yes, sir. Oh, you've met her before, but she was... Wasn't that long ago. It couldn't have been more than... Twelve years, sir. Twelve years. Absolutely. Incredible. Congratulations, Ensign. It wouldn't be the Enterprise without a Sulu at the helm. Thank you, sir. I'm sure Hikaru must be very proud of you. I hope so. I was never that young. No? You were younger. Damn fine ship, if you ask me. Scotty, it absolutely amazing. And what would that be, sir? Sulu, when did he find time for a family? Well, like you always say, if something's important, you make the time. Now, there's uh, several uh, little themes that kind of run through this uh, this movie, and that's one of them right there. The, the idea of family and time are, are fairly important here. There's a lot of things that sort of uh, cross over and a lot of people that those elements affect in this movie. Picard, Kirk uh, especially become uh, very, um, you know, impacted by family issues and things like that, and and the whole Nexus situation that happens and all that. So uh, really well done, I think, the way they integrate those things. And I love that line in there about uh, where Kirk tells uh, Chekhov that, no, he was younger. 
You know, William Shatner, I think, does an excellent job in this movie as Kirk. He's relaxed. He's comfortable with himself and and just plays the part really well. I, I think uh, it really comes off as being uh, one of his best performances, I think, in a film, even though he's not in here a huge amount, just kind of at the beginning and at the end. But the, I don't know. There's just something about the way he plays Kirk in this movie that I really like. So uh, I, I like this part here, again, where he's talking to Chekhov and says, you know, you are younger. And, and, you know, these guys are reflecting. You know, they've they've kind of retired now, and they're kind of reflecting on their lives and their careers a little bit. So, uh so that, uh, I think, really works well. Let's get into the next clip. There's, a, uh, of course, the scene on a, you know this, this nexus thing they run into. They're trying to save these uh, people aboard this ship. They turn out to be these, uh, I think he called their race, uh, the El-Orians. El-Orians. <laughs> I never could say that, but it's Guinan's people, basically. They're trying these refugees uh, in these two ships that they discover in this energy ribbon. There's Captain Harriman aboard the Enterprise B. He's, he's very green. He doesn't exactly know what to do, and they run into a bit of a problem. Kirk kind of gives him some advice. And then there's the scene, the cool scene on the bridge, where where Kirk is about to sit down in the chair and let Harriman go down and, and do this thing with the deflector to, uh, to break them free. And Kirk decides, no, no, your place is on the bridge of your ship. I'll go, I'll go save the day and down in engineering. Scotty tells him what to do and all that. Well, then, of course, this uh, accident happens. They, they kind of get slightly nailed by the, the energy ribbon, and it kind of destroys part of that area of the ship, even though Kirk's really has saved the day again before that. So the next clip is just after that, uh, after Kirk uh, has gotten them out of the uh, predicament they're in. So listen to this. We're clear. You did it, Kirk! Damage report, Ensign. There's some buckling on the starboard nacelle. We've also got a hull beach in the engineering section. Emergency force fields in place and holding. Where? Sections 20 through 28. On decks 13, 14, and 15. Bridge to Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, please respond. Chekhov, meet me on deck 15. Is anyone in here? Hi. Yeah, so it, uh, you know, in that scene, it appears that Kirk's been killed, uh, you know, by that energy blast. But of course, later on, we learned that that just took him over into the Nexus, which kind of sets a lot of things up for later in the movie. The next clip that I have for you is the scene where Worf's promoted on that sailing ship, which is a very cool scene. A couple things about that. Uh, that uh, that boat is called the Lady Washington. It's uh, it's docked in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, it's uh, owned by the Grays Harbor Historical Seaport. And uh, one of uh, the longtime members and contributors to the podcast, Rick Moyer, they have visited there, uh, I think it was just last summer, and took some cool photos aboard the ship. And 
if you watch this movie again, Generations, there's a, a quick little scene where Troy is kind of at the helm of the ship uh, at the wheel, and she kind of hands over the um, the wheel to uh, to another, an older gentleman, an elderly man, and that guy that they, she hands it over to is the actual captain of this ship, of the the Lady Washington in Aberdeen. So uh, so watch that scene again, and you'll see the cap, the real captain of that sailing ship there. A very cool thing that they. Uh, they went out and filmed there with uh, the whole cast, and a neat little scene and a, and a, and a cool uh, holodeck scene for promoting uh, Worf to Lieutenant Commander. So listen to this that clip right now. Are you prepared to face the charges? Answer him. I am prepared. We, the officers and crew of the USS Enterprise, being of sound mind and judgment, Hereby, make the following charges against Lieutenant Worf. One, that he did knowingly and willfully perform above and beyond the call of duty on countless occasions. Two, most seriously, that he has earned the admiration and respect of the entire crew. Mr. Worf, I hereby promote you to the rank of Lieutenant Commander with all the rights and privileges thereto. May God have mercy on your soul. Congratulations, Mr. Wolf. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's a really uh, a cool, fun scene there. I don't know when Jordy became this, you know, headhunter guy or whatever. La, 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 la. You know what he's screaming out, but uh, <laughs> it's a cool scene. Data's. Uh, you know, uh, pushes uh, Dr. Crusher into the water, trying to kind of participate in the in the whole joke and fun of the moment, and he doesn't still quite get it. And that leads him to uh, put his emotion chip back in, which, you know, enters into um, or creates some situations in this movie uh, because of his difficulty integrating the emotions into his uh, personality and everything. And that leads to this next clip. Next one that I'm going to play for you is the scene in uh, 10 Forward where Data is drinking this drink Guinan's given him, and he's trying to uh, describe what this drink makes him feel like. I like this little scene here. Uh, listen to this. I believe this beverage has produced an emotional response. Really? What are you feeling? I am uncertain. Because I have had little experience with emotion, I am unable to articulate the sensation. Emotion? I'll explain later. Oof! Well, it looks like he hates it. Yes. That is it. I hate this! Data, I think the chip is working. Oh, yes! I hate this! It is revolting! More? Please. Brent Spiner does does just has a ball with this uh, this movie. I think doing all the different emotions that Data is going through. He's he's happy. He's sad. He's scared. He's laughing all the time uh, when Jordy and him go over to explore that station. And just uh, he has a really good time with this one, Mister Tricorder. Who could forget Mister Tricorder when he does that little scene too? And he does a little Picard imitation. Just does a lot of fun stuff in this movie. I, I didn't capture much of it. I tried to stick to the main storyline. It's always hard. This movie, especially for me, for some reason, was very difficult to pull out the clips. Uh, you know in, in, that I 
you know, to try to limit it down, I think I ended up with like 13 different clips. And even then, there were more that I wanted to gather. Uh, It's just because every other little scene, I think there's something kind of important, I think, that happens in the movie. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of parts in this movie that are just dead i don't think uh at all and they they edit it really well i did probably a good point to mention here is i do have the the two disc uh, dvd set and there are some extra scenes on there that if you haven't seen that before you might want to check it out uh there is a scene at the beginning of this movie where kirk is out skydiving doing this thing called orbital skydiving he's still trying like he did in star trek 5 a bit to kind of uh well, he's retired, but he's still trying to have kind of adventures, and he's doing some crazy things like orbital skydiving, and Scotty and uh, Chekhov are out there to meet him. And uh, there's a little different version of Walking the Plank, uh, Christmas with the Picards, and there's also the, the classic uh, that Kenny was talking about, alternate ending for the, the, the death bleh, <laughs> excuse me everyone for the death of Kirk. Uh, they, they had two endings, but I'll talk about that more when we get towards the end of the discussion. The next clip, we have uh, a great guest actor. I think he does a wonderful job in this movie. We have Malcolm McDowell playing the uh, Dr. Soren character, or Soran, Soren, Soran, <laughs> S-O-R-A-N, Soren. Uh, he plays uh, this sort of mad scientist, crazy guy, and he's out to basically get back in the Nexus. He lost his family uh, years ago, and of course, everyone knows now that the Nexus allows you to kind of go to that happy place, what you imagine being the, you know, you're, you're, you know, something that you were never able to do or some place in your past that you did but maybe didn't quite finish what you wanted to do. Anyway, it, gets, it gives you the ultimate uh, dream to have, basically. You get to live there, and, of course, Soren, if he went back that way, he would be sort of reunited with his family again, and that's his goal in this movie, and that's what puts him at odds with the Enterprise and everything there. The scene here is just in 10th Order, a little after that that scene you just listened to with Data, and this is Picard and Soren discussing uh, what he wants to do. Dr. Soren? Yes. Ah, yes, Captain. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I understand there's something urgent you wish to discuss with me. Yes. I must return to the observatory immediately. I must continue a critical experiment I've been running on the Amagosa star. We're still conducting our investigation into the attack. As soon as that is is complete, then I will allow you and your colleagues to return. But until then, there's nothing I can do. Timing is very important in my experiment. If it's not completed in the next 12 hours, years of research will be lost. We're doing the best we can, if you'll excuse me. They say time is the fire in which we burn. Right now, Captain, my time is running out. We leave so many things unfinished in our lives. I know you understand. Yeah, good uh, good clip there again, and you can see the connection between, you know, the family and time and, and things... Uh, they kind of slip away from you that uh, Soren tells to Picard. And that line about time is the fire in which we burn uh, so impressed Malcolm McDowell that he had that engraved on uh, this pocket watch that he uses in the movie. For those that are Malcolm McDowell fans, of course, he did that movie uh, Time After Time where he played H.G. Wells back in the late 70s, and he had a pocket watch in that movie as well. So it's kind of one of his uh, his favorite things, I guess, and he's using that again in this because he's sort of obsessed a little bit with time in this movie in Star Trek Generations. 
All right, let's uh, go on to another clip here. This one is pretty important as well, I believe. This is the scene with Picard and Troy where, you know, Picard gets this message uh, from Starfleet near the beginning of the, or from Earth. I don't know if it's from Starfleet, I guess, but it doesn't really matter. He gets this message about what's happened to his brother and his nephew, and this is a scene where he's discussing the situation and that they've been they killed in this fire. Uh, he's talking about it with uh, Troy uh, and looking at some photographs in this album, this photograph album that he has. So listen to this. It's a, it's a great scene. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart does a great job with the emotional impact of that uh, in this movie. So listen to this. Robert. So opinionated. So pompous and arrogant. He always had to have the last word. But he, he mellowed a little bit in the last few years. I was going to get together with them all next month on Earth. I thought we'd go to San Francisco. Renee's always wanted to see Starfleet Academy. Renee? Oh, your nephew. Yeah, he's, uh, he's so unlike his father. He's a dreamer, imaginative. He's Very gentle. What's happened? Robert and Rene, they're... burned to death in the fire. I'm sorry. It's all right, it's all right. These things happen. Captain. It's not all right. I can't help thinking about... about all the experiences that Renee's not going to have, about going to the academy, reading books and listening to music, and falling in love, building a life. That's a really, uh, really good emotional scene there and you know Picard admits to uh, Troy and he says you know he sort of thought of uh, his brother and his family as sort of his surrogate family you know he's been basically sort of married to Starfleet and the Enterprise and you know his his career has always been his family and he never had a chance for a family again like I said earlier on this movie has all these themes kind of running through it and the idea of family you saw at the beginning with Sulu and you know he had a chance for a family had a daughter Kirk kind of he that sets up the thing with Kirk sort of feeling a little sad that he never had a chance to have a family of his own and that of course leads to later on when you see him in the nexus and what where he's at there and what his sort of dream uh, of being in the nexus would be like and as, as well as Picard this uh Next clip that I've got for you, we've got to kind of keep things moving here. This is going to be, I think, a little longer than normal podcast. But this next one is a, uh, a clip with Guinan and describing this nexus and the situation to uh, Captain Picard and telling him what this Soren is probably up to. Terrible weapon. One that might even give him enough power to destroy him. Soren doesn't care about weapons or power. He just cares about getting back to the nexus. What's the nexus? The energy ribbon that destroyed that ship was not just some random phenomena traveling through the universe. It's a doorway to another place that we call the Nexus. 
And it's a place I've tried very, very hard to forget. As if joy was something tangible and you could wrap yourself up in it like a blanket. And never in my entire life have I ever been as content. And then you were beamed away from that. Pulled. Ripped away. None of us wanted to go. And I would have done anything, anything to get back there. And once I realized that wasn't possible, I learned to live with that. What about Sodom? If he's still obsessed, he could be a very, very dangerous man. I think the uh, really cool concept, this idea of the Nexus, um, kind of reminds me of something you know they did with Star Trek in a few different episodes. Shore leave, uh, for example, in the original series, you know they were on that planet and. Basically, anything that they wanted or were thinking about was produced uh, immediately. So you could kind of use that as a, you know, get whatever you want. And, and if you were, you know, thinking about the proper uh, things, well, it could be a little dangerous if you weren't. But if, if you were thinking about the proper things, you could kind of have a, a very fun experience there. And the Nexus, again, it's sort of like the ultimate holodeck. You know, you get to go in there and it gives you exactly what you most desire and very interesting, and, and obviously, like Guinan saying, Whoopi Goldberg uh, again in this movie, and, and she's not even credited, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure exactly why, but you'll notice you don't see even her name in the credits anywhere at the beginning or at the end of the movie. But she does a good job as Guinan again here describing this nexus. I thought it was kind of interesting to tie her character in as being one of the uh, people aboard the ship that the Enterprise B rescues along with Soren. And then eventually she ends up uh, with working with Picard on the Enterprise and tells her about the Nexus and all that. Kind of nice how they tied all that together. The next clip that I've got for you, we sort of zip ahead a little bit. I kind of got away from talking about or, or gathering any clips with the whole Klingon bird of prey. Klingons uh, grab, uh, you know, Soren, pull him away. They got Geordi. They adjust Geordi's visor. That's how they get the Enterprise's uh, shield modulation frequency, all that kind of stuff. And when they attack the Enterprise, what eventually makes the Enterprise crash, which comes up here in a few minutes. But all that, to me, I tried to focus on mostly the, the Picard, Soren, and Kirk storylines and the family issues and that in talking about this movie. I think that's the main topic and the main uh, situation. A little bit about data and that, but uh, slide that in when I can. So it's just always hard, you know. I would have loved to have been able to just play two hours of the movie for you, but a podcast would have been pretty long then. So try to distill it a little bit more. So anyway, we're into the Nexus now. This next clip, Picard first tries to go down to, uh, what is it called, Viridian 3. Tries to stop Soren. Soren's blast going to blast the sun to tweak the course of the Nexus so it comes close enough to the planet so he can sort of pop up into it again. And the Picard's first attempt at that doesn't work very well. He can't take Soren alone and uh, finds out about that. And when this happens, the first time the Enterprise crashes and the uh, energy ribbon comes through, pulls up Picard and Soren into it. And then, of course, the planet is destroyed by the shockwave. And the Enterprise, that even though it's crashed, the primary hull is on the surface. You know, the crew is basically destroyed. Everything happens. And then you see... Picard has gone into the Nexus, so things aren't looking too good. 
and he has another conversation with Guinan inside the Nexus this time. And listen to uh, that clip. This can't be real. It's as real as you want it to be. Guinan. What's going on? Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you wanted. I never had a home like this. Not a wife and children. But these are all mine. Guinan, what are you doing here? I thought you were on board the Enterprise. I am. I'm also here. Think of me as an echo of the person you know. A part of herself she left behind. The Enterprise B beamed you up from the Lacoon. Papa, help me build my castle. Yes, I will in a few minutes. Papa, thank you for the doll. She's very beautiful. These are my children. <laughs> These are my children. Of course. Time has no meaning here. So you can go back and see them born, or go forward and see your grandchildren. Dinner's ready, everyone. Dinner's ready, Papa. So we get to uh, get to see here that uh, you know Picard's, you know sort of fantasy life or, or what he'd really desire would be to have a family and to not have all the responsibilities maybe of being a, a starship captain and just to have a, a kind of a normal life here. He's at Christmas. Uh, you know, very, very nice scene. Uh, I believe uh, some of the children there that you see in that uh, clip are the director, David Carson's kids. Uh, I can't remember which ones are which, if they all are or not, but uh, you can see a similarity. I think the one little boy that tries to pull Picard away is definitely uh, the director's son. So anyway, uh, a good uh, good scene there. And Picard, though, realizes this isn't the way things need you know should be. And he remembers what happened with Soren and the Nexus, and he has to go back and try to stop it. Uh, but Guinan tells him that, uh, you, you know, or Picard actually mentions that he needs help. He can't do it by himself. First, he asks Guinan to go help him. But then he decides, or she says, well, I think there's somebody else in the Nexus that can help you. So now we tie back into the beginning of the movie with uh, Kirk being pulled into the Nexus. And that's how we get the the classic meeting of the two captains of the Enterprise, at least up until this point, Captain James T. Kirk and Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise. And it, it's, it's very cool to see these two characters, these two actors together in this movie. Um, the next clip that I'm going to play for you where they're, you know, Picard is trying to urge Kirk to come back and help him and to, you know, make a difference again. Now, the scenes that you see, uh, well, actually, I'm going to hold that topic for a minute because that's that's related to the horseback stuff, which will be after this clip. So listen to this first one here where they're in this uh, little house uh, uh, that Kirk is in making this little breakfast for his, his lady friend and uh, where they're discussing what uh, Picard wants him to do for him. Captain, look, I need your help. I want you to leave the Nexus with me. 
We have to go back to a planet, Viridium 3. We have to stop a man called Soren from destroying a star. Millions of lives are at stake. You say history considers me dead. Who am I to argue with history? You're a Starfleet officer. You have a duty. I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. Besides which, I think the galaxy owes me one. Oh, yeah. I was like you once. So worried about duty and obligation, I couldn't see past my own uniform. And what did it get me? An empty house. Not this time. This time I'm going to walk up these stairs, march into that bedroom, and tell Antonia I want to marry her. This time, it's going to be different. Yeah, good, good seating, good scene there uh, with uh, uh, Patrick Stewart and William Shatner going at it. Uh, You'll notice if you look closely, there's a cabinet in Kirk's house here that has uh, some interesting little different items uh, over the years that he's collected. Uh, phaser, uh, there's a batlith, uh, a Klingon batlith, some pictures, photos of uh, the crew of the Enterprise and, and the original Enterprise, a couple other weapons as well. So keep an eye out for that when you watch the movie again in the in the house there. There's this cabinet with these artifacts in it. So the next clip is uh, one of my favorite scenes. Now, most uh, maybe listening to the podcast know that William Shatner is a very uh, accomplished horseman uh, or horseback rider. He breeds uh, he breeds horses. He's got a ranch. Uh, he's very into horses, and I've uh, I've also enjoyed horseback riding over the years. So this scene is really uh, special for me. I love it a lot, and I especially love the music, uh, which I have used on the podcast a lot of times as the intro music for the show from this movie, uh, Star Trek Generations, where Kirk goes out uh, and he goes for this horseback ride. And this is the the day and the time where he first meets this Antonia uh, girl that he wants to propose to. And it's a great scene, really fun. And it's got a classic moment where Kirk realizes that this is all kind of not real and kind of fake and phony. And that's a classic Kirk situation where it happened in a lot of different Star Trek episodes that if it's not real, it doesn't it doesn't exactly have the same meaning. So uh, a, a good scene there. But here we go with the horseback scene, the start of it uh, from the movie. This is not your bedroom. No, it's not. It's better. Better. This is my uncle's barn in Idaho. I took this horse out for a ride. Eleven years ago, on a spring day, this one if i'm right this is the day i met antonia this nexus of yours very clever i can start all over again and do things right from day one
Yeah, I love that. Uh, love that music. Love that scene. Uh, very, very nice. Uh, that is uh, Shatner's property there that you see his uh, his little uh, one of his uh, farms and your whatever you call it, horse places, <laughs> staples, and uh, his property there that he's jumping that little ravine over. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess a uh, couple things here. Patrick Stewart, uh, not a real expert horseback guy at all, although he did okay in this movie. Didn't really have to charge out. Uh, William Shatner gave him a, a bit of advice for this uh, scene. He says, if you wear a women's pantyhose underneath your pants, it it cuts down on some of the chafing along the sides of the horse when your legs are straddling, you know, across the saddle. So uh, I guess the, we've got a couple of pantyhose uh, wearing captains there. So, uh, But I, I really enjoy that. Dennis McCarthy does some great uh, job with the music. Kind of dramatic, but kind of sad, that little bit of music there during the horseback scene. Really enjoy that a lot. Uh, very, very nice uh scene and music so and then that's the point where in time where kirk just realizes this just isn't real it's fake and and he and he has a he has a big problem with with that uh situation so you know william shatner should do a western sometime you know he's such a horseback you know horse uh guy that he should do that uh, also there i, I was going to mention earlier there's that dog that comes in uh to visit him he calls him butler that's William, one of shatner's dogs he's always been into dogs and and had them over the years he even had a few of them uh when he was filming the original star trek he had them on on the stages well not on the stage but he'd keep them in his trailer and stuff like that so he's into dogs horses big animal lover uh the shatner is so there you go the next scene, this is the uh, scene, a good conversation between uh, uh, Kirk and Picard, and this is the final scene where they're basically, Picard is convincing him to go back and make a difference again to help stop Soren. I must have jumped that 50 times. Scared the hell out of me each time. Except this time. Because it isn't real. Antonia. She isn't real either, is she? Nothing here is. Nothing here matters. You know, maybe this isn't about an empty house. Maybe it's about that empty chair on the bridge of the Enterprise. Ever since I left Starfleet. I haven't made a difference. Captain of the Enterprise. That's right. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship because while you're there, you can make a difference. Come back with me. Help me stop Soren. Make a difference again. Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? What's the name of that planet? Viridian 3? Yes. I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like that. Sounds like fun. 
Yeah, good, uh, good scene. Lo- love seeing these two actors together, these two characters together in this movie. Uh, some of the best stuff I think in the movie is is the two of them, uh, and uh, the Nexus scenes, and then stopping Soren. Uh, of course, they go back, uh, and Soren has two captains of the Enterprise to deal with now. Which, if you, uh, I'd read somewhere that uh, Shatner said that uh, talking to Picard and call, you know, saying a few times. Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise was one of the hardest lines he said he ever had to say in Star Trek. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, he pretty pretty worked up for this uh, movie. And, of course, you have the big uh, fight scene. Uh, Kirk goes after Soren. Picard takes care of the, uh, the little missile thing to stop it from going and launching. And the two of them sort of tag team and Marvel team up together to stop Soren. And then you have, of course, uh, the death of Kirk during that. There were two scenes that were filmed or two ways that was filmed. It was tested for an audience. The first time, actually, Soren shoots with his little blaster thing that he carries around, shoots Kirk in the back, and that kills uh, kills Captain Kirk, even though they have stopped him at that point. Uh, but I guess audiences were not very happy with that way of doing it. And this time, Kirk goes out on that bridge thing, and he, and he gets that little control device, so uh he in order in order for picard to change the the missile thing uh kirk has to get that device he goes out there the thing falls down and he uh kirk dies in the uh, release version of the movie from a fall on that bridge and everything rather than this bad guy shooting him and i guess people were uh, you know better uh, more accepting of that you can find that uh, alternate version up on youtube it's in the two-disc DVD set of the movie as well. Uh, you know, I think the, the the movie version, the one they did release, is is the better, definitely, of it. The other one, eh, I don't think it's really that big of a difference to me. I mean, there are a lot of people that think that's really a bad version. I'm, I'm not. I think the one that they did use in the movie is much better, but I think the other way could have worked, too, perhaps, with a little different editing. The next clip, though, that I have for you, just got a couple left. We'll be wrapping this up here shortly. The next one is the sort of death of Kirk scene where he has a couple of interesting lines to say. So listen to that. Did we do it? We make a difference. Oh, yes. We made a difference. Thank you. At least I could do. For the captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, so that's the scene where, you know, Shatner, the character of Kirk, uh, does die in Star Trek uh, lore, history, canon, and so forth. Uh, Of course, William Shatner has written some books where he sort of has brought him back. Uh, It was really difficult. I I guess Shatner really had a hard time with it, even though he knew full well when he signed up for this movie that that Kirk was going to die. But it was, uh, I guess he's said uh, numerous times over the years that it was pretty emotional, pretty hard for him to do that. to do that scene, and then they kind of had to do it twice 
like I said, because they changed the ending. And uh, they filmed this in an area out at uh, in the desert in California where it was, um, I think it's sort of nicknamed the Valley of Fire. And I guess the first time they went out there to film was in the heat of the summer. It was like 110 degrees, really, really nasty, hot weather and conditions. And when they when they went out to do the the second uh, take on this whole situation, it was down to around the 80s. It was in the fall more, so it, they should have waited, I guess. But uh, but they did end up, like I said, having to go back and reshoot some of that uh, scene uh, again. So uh, and that last little line there, where uh, where Kirk says, "Oh my," kind of, uh, I guess Shatner that wasn't scripted. He sort of ad libbed that. And that was supposed to see, you know, so it's supposed to be a play on that Kirk kind of going off to the really the final frontier into the great unknown of death and all that, and him uh, him sort of saying something in regards to that and oh my, like it was, you know, kind of overwhelming or, or whatever. So he kind of slipped that line in, and I think it really fits well. And the whole it's fun, it was fun stuff too fits the character of Kirk well. So well done, a scene hard to see Kirk go, of course, but that. Uh, that had to happen for this movie to to kind of work and for it to have meaning. And he did make a difference one more time. One last clip to play. This is at the ending of the movie where uh, they are aboard the sort of crashed uh, primary hull, main section of the Enterprise, searching around for Picard's photo album. And and it's a scene between Riker and Picard about the situation. Now, uh, probably besides sort of dramatic effect for the movie, the crashing and the destruction of the Enterprise D here was one of the main purposes was the the model for the Enterprise D they didn't feel they they wanted to go with a new version of the Enterprise for the big screen for movies they felt they were going to do some movies with the next generation crew and they wanted something a little more movie uh worthy or or that would look better a little bit on the big screen you know the Enterprise D while a cool ship and a cool design was kind of short and squat so they ended up with you know the Enterprise E which showed up in the next movie First Contact and a much sleeker, longer, more elegant probably design for the Enterprise and probably much more suited towards the movie. So that's kind of one of the reasons why they decided to destroy the Enterprise D in this film. So here we are with uh, the last clip of the movie. I'm going to miss this ship. She went before her time. Someone once told me that time... As a predator that stalked us all our lives. And I rather believe that time is a companion who goes with us on the journey, reminds us to cherish every moment, because it'll never come again. What we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived. After all, number one, we're only mortal. Speak for yourself, sir. I plan to live forever. I always thought I'd get a shot at this chair one day. Perhaps you still will. Somehow I doubt that this will be the last ship to carry the name Enterprise. Got a Farragut. Two to beam up.
Well, there you have the look at uh, Star Trek Generations, the first of the Next Generation movies uh, by myself. And we've got uh, a few calls to play, uh, or I should say MP3 files to play from various other people and their comments about this film. I think I've got three others to uh, go through for you. I hope uh, you'll sit back and enjoy those. I know this has been kind of a longer podcast, but I think it's still a uh, definitely uh, worthy of uh, a longer look uh, when you do one of these Star Trek movie uh, discussions and reviews. So uh, first up, we're here from uh, another uh, forum member, Wraith1701 uh, on the forums, and his comments about Star Trek Generations. Hey, Rico, it's Eric, a.k.a. Wraith1701, with some quick thoughts on Star Trek Generations. Now, while I like the film now, I actually hated it when it first came out. I disliked the way Kirk was killed off, I was bored by the Nexus sequence, and I especially hated the new jokey Data. In fact, the only thing I liked about the film was getting the chance to finally see the Enterprise-D on the big screen. I've always been a fan of that ship design. Unfortunately, we all know how that turned out. It just seems that Troy has a knack for crashing ships, doesn't it? Now, looking back, I think my main problem with the movie was that I went into the theaters expecting a big screen version of a standard next-gen episode. I expected a story that introduced a conflict, resolved it, and ended it with a bit of humor. And I expected to see this done without drastically changing the status quo. What I got instead was something totally different. I got to see a side of many of the characters that I hadn't seen before, and even though the main conflict was resolved, it wasn't done without some major sacrifices being made along the way. Now over the years I have come to appreciate the film. The producers were given a pretty huge task. They were charged with bridging the gap between the original series and the next gen crew. And all in all I think they did a fairly decent job especially when you consider the time gap between the two series. I've also come to appreciate the fact that the producers had the courage to move the franchise forward. They had the courage to shake things up enough for the series to grow and evolve. I guess you could say that what I hated about the movie back then is actually what I appreciate about it now. Well, that's all I have. Wraith1701, signing off. Well, thanks, Wraith, for your comments. Uh, yeah, that, it's an interesting thing. I, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the people that were the real big next-gen fans, that this might not have been their, their you know, the kind of movie that they expected. I think you and Kenny both had some similar things to say like that Uh it's interesting, and you know, be, me being probably you know started with Trek in the original series days more, uh, and then into Next Gen, still enjoyed and loved that show, you know, almost as much probably. Uh, you know, it's it, they're both great series, but uh, I can see some of your concerns and, and situations with what happened in this movie, especially if you're a big fan of the Enterprise D design and they crash it on the planet. You know, Troy there at the helm, but uh, yeah, that's kind of a funny uh, comment. You know, she's always crashing ships, so. Here we go with uh, one more uh, comment. We've got two others. We've got uh, Jen from the forums and her take on Star Trek Generations. Generations wasn't the best Star Trek film, but I enjoyed Data's character development, as well as the humor. Data's my favorite TNG character, so I figured I would do a review based on his character development in the film. After realizing the mistake he made when he pushed Dr. Crusher into the water... Data comes to the conclusion that he will never understand humor without help, and decides to install the emotion chip that he had removed at the end of Descent Part 2. After Geordi installs it for him, Data and his best friend head over to Five Ford to test his emotional response to taste. The next scene was one of my favorites. Oh, well, it looks like he hates them. Yes, 
That is it. I hate this. David, I think the chip is working. Oh, yes. I hate this. It is revolting. More? Please. As Data continues to explore his emotions, he becomes more and more obnoxious to the crew and to the audience. I have a hard time getting through those scenes. His laugh is particularly annoying, and I don't know how Jordy put up with it as long as he did. Whoa. Visor's <laughs> picking up something in the theater band. It could be a trilithium signature. <laughs> Data, we don't have time for this. I cannot help myself. <laughs> I think something is wrong. Data? Eventually, Soren shows up while they're investigating the station and knocks out Jordy. With Data's emotions out of sorts, he's rendered helpless, frozen with fear, and unable to help his friend. One of the best scenes is the Data-Picard clip in stellar cartography. Data's struggle with his emotions and Picard's tough love approach adds dimension to the movie. But right now, I need you to- Sir, I no longer want these emotions. Deactivating me is the only viable solution. Part of having feelings is learning to integrate them Learning to live with them, no matter Sir, what the circumstances. You will not be deactivated. You're an officer on board this ship, and I require you to perform your duty. That is an order, Commander. Yes, sir. I enjoyed this movie for what it was, but the scenes I loved the most included my favorite character, Data, and how he conquered his emotions and learned what courage was about. Back to you, Rico. Some very interesting uh, comments, Jen. I, I really appreciate you going through the the whole sort of data uh, motion ship storyline. Since I kind of I, I only touched on that briefly in my discussion about the uh, the movie, and I can see uh, you know especially fans more of the next gen why they'd uh, really enjoy those parts. Uh, I like that they you know they kind of continued this a little bit in in the future next gen movies as well, and data having to deal with his emotions and and how you know how much that affected him as a character and you know, as a, you know, a Starfleet officer, too. So thanks very much for your comments, Jen. Now we have uh, one more uh, listener call, uh, listener clip to play, and this, of course, is our father and son review from the Moyers and their take on Star Trek Generations. This one's a little bit longer. This is about four minutes long, and then uh, I will be wrapping up this podcast. No time for a collectible this week, folks. No time for love, Dr. Jones. No time for a collectible either. So uh, listen to uh, Rick and Nathan talk about Generations, and I'll be back to finish off the show. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is the Father and Son Review. Well, Rico, we're so excited that you are reviewing Generations, the Star Trek, very, very first Star Trek Next Generation uh, movie. And uh, we have lots of things to say about it. Nathan, what was your overall impression about the movie? What did you think when well, you saw I, it the first I time? I really liked the fact that they had Data as a main character in this one. And I sort of liked Soren when I was a kid. Yeah, he was cool, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. You had his action figure, didn't you? Yeah, and then my brother lost the tricorder. But... Oh, I can't believe that. Yeah. yeah, that's Andrew for you. Okay, some of the highlights that we saw on there is we really liked Data's, Data's makeup. makeup. Yeah, that was cool because you actually, on the big screen... You could actually see... Nathan just put a bite of salad in his mouth. This is funny. Don't chew on the... Anyway, uh, Data's makeup, you actually could see the color of it because on, on, on TV, we always watch it on a fuzzy 
fuzzy channel and everything. We couldn't really see his makeup color. And in the movie, they did a great job on his makeup, so he really looked like an android. It was they cool. had a bunch of different lighting in the movies, too, because they had, like, millions of dollars more to, to spend play on with, it. Yeah. The very opening scene of, of Generations was a real treat for us as uh, living in Aberdeen because we got to see the Lady Washington tall ship redressed as the Enterprise. And that we actually get to see that. It docks right down here, less than three miles from our house. We get to see the Enterprise all the time because it's docked right there mm-hmm. on the water. That was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And we've and gone actually and seen the ship. I think, didn't we get to see it with the Enterprise thing on it at first for yeah. a little bit? And yeah. then they took it off. But. Yeah. It was way cool. So we shouted and screamed in the theater when we saw it for the first time because that was our ship. We'd been on it. So that was kind of a neat kind of thing there. Uh, what do you think of the Nexus, Nathan? I thought it reminded me a lot of a classic, or TN, not TNG, classic... TOS. TOS episode. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I always thought Nexus is a hair product, so it was really difficult for me to wrap myself around that energy wave. But that was fun. And it was really fun to see Captain Kirk and Chekhov and Scotty on the bridge of the Enterprise B. Was that Sulu was there? cool. Not, no, Sulu's daughter, though. Remember, she oh, was yeah. helming the ship. That was cool. And then you liked um, oh, the saucer section when it hit the ground on the planet. Way cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you notice that whenever the ship crashes, though, they always let Deanna drive for some reason? Yeah, she has that reputation. Poor Counselor Troy. Or as we call her around our house, Counselor Cleavage. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, uh, what did you think of the uniforms in this episode? I thought they were sort of weird how they were inversing them once in a while. Like, Data had the, the black on the top and the yellow well, on the bottom. Well, after that, they did that a lot on Deep Space Nine. Well, yeah, th- it was better when they had them all constant, but I didn't like them all mixed up. Oh, okay. I thought it was kind of cool, but um, anyway. I like then, the gray ones better. Yeah. What did you think about the scene when Data's emotion chip got stuck on uh, when they were over at Soren's laboratory? What did you think of that? Mr. Tricorder. <laughs> but the clowns, the clown, or the Ferengi in the clown suit has to go. I get it. Yeah, that was different. But what a cool show. Um, overall, what do you think about the the entire movie, though? What'd I'd you think? probably give it a 4.5 out of all of them. 4.5 stars? You really like that one? Yeah. Okay, I would say because it blended the generations, so it had Kirk and others in it, and it was cool to see Whoopi Goldberg. I think the show was excellent, and I liked seeing the Klingons, the uh, Lursa, Lursa and Bator. Was that, is that how you say their names? The anyway, Jura sisters? Yeah, they they were cool. They were really cool. Anyway, the whole show was really good. I'll give it up there. It was one of my favorite movies of Star Trek, so I'll give it a 4.1. Not 5? No. No. That's Undiscovered Country and Rathcon. They get the 5 stars. So there you go. Uh, We really enjoyed the movie, and uh, yeah, we're thankful that you uh, review stuff like this, Rico. You're awesome, man. Yes, very much. Okay, so this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been The The Father and Son Son Review. Review. Well, thanks very much, guys. I appreciate uh, I appreciate everyone. Uh, I put a special call out this week for uh, some people on the forums, you know, to try to get me some uh, comments about their take on Star Trek Generation so you don't just hear my perspective on it. Uh, that's always good to, to hear, especially when I do something like a movie. I always like to hear other people's opinions and what, you know, what aspects of the movie they liked or didn't like and that kind of thing. Yeah, a comment about the uniform deal they uh, originally were going to create sort of a new version of the uniforms for this film that we never saw. They they kind of scrapped that idea uh, later on. They were going to have a little different collar. They were going to have their their rank on their shoulders a little bit different than they do. And uh, you can see those, though. They did release some action figures with a slightly altered uniform like that. So what they ended up doing is a, a couple of the, the actors, uh, Picard, 
uh, and uh, Data primarily had that weird little purple collar thing undershirt for a couple of scenes, and then they'd flip back to their other uniform that they wore on Next Gen and all that kind of stuff. So then they eventually got the kind of gray-topped uniforms like they wore later on on Deep Space Nine on the uh, in the next movie, I believe, First Contact. So, yeah, the uniform thing was a little weird for that. Uh, you know, usually you saw them on, on TNG always wearing the same kind of uniform, and in this movie they keep flip-flopping between them. It's like, hey, you know what? i got to run back to my quarters and change my uniform again. So, uh, But that was a little bit strange at first. So it would probably have been better to just have one type of uniform for the entire movie for all the actors. So so there you have it, Star Trek Generations. Uh, like I said, uh, I really enjoyed the movie, one of my favorites, and I, I hope you enjoyed this look at it. And I know we ran really long on this podcast, but I think it was worthwhile. And, again, really uh, big thanks uh, to everyone that participated and sent in their take on the movie. Okay, folks, we're like an hour and 20 minutes, so I definitely got to wrap this up. Uh, again, thanks, everyone, for downloading listening to the podcast this week. Oh, go over to treksinsci-fi.com. I'm revamping the main website. Go check that out sometime when we get a chance. Next week, we'll be back with another podcast, uh, probably an episode. I think we're, we're going to maybe hit a TOS episode, but I'm not sure. I'm going to have to check into that. But I'll always announce that on the forum and the podcast. And, hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, check out the forums. Just go to treksinsci-fi.com. Click on the forum link and sign up. Lots of good people there. Lots of good discussions about sci-fi and TV movies uh, and the new Trek movie as well. So uh, check that out. And until next time, everyone, have a great week. I hope the weather's getting better where you're at. Uh, Hopefully winter's starting to fade away, I hope. Getting really tired of all the snow we've been getting in Michigan. So take care, everyone. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosti podcast production. 